Coming up, I have some basketball for you and then some basketball. And then I think we're going to follow that up with maybe some basketball. So yeah. Oh, there's going to be basketball. That's next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables this week. It's Mr. Holland's Opus. It was the last one of 2020. If you want to hear the entire rewatchables archive dating back to 2017, it is exclusively on Spotify. You can still get everything from the last 60 days on all platforms. Another great movie coming on uh, on Monday. So stay tuned for that. Speaking of Ringer podcast, The Wire, way down in the hole, wrapped up a really, really fun, entertaining, insightful run. Jamel Hill, Van Lathan, they broke down every single episode of The Wire, which I think is a Mount Rushmore show. It's one of the four or five greatest shows of all time. They did winners and losers. Um, They hit the big picture storylines. They did it all. They did everything and they finally wrapped it up. I think they did like 65 episodes, something like that. If you love the show, if you're thinking about rewatching it as we head to uh, month 11 of the pandemic here, it's on, I think, HBO Max. Um, and it's on Amazon too and a couple other places. But if you want to watch The Wire again and watch it along with Van and Jamal, I'd highly recommend it. I'm really proud of that podcast. They did a great job. Really appreciate all the hard work they put into it. So check it out. The Wire, way down the hole. It's available on all platforms coming up. I'm going to do a little basketball stuff just at the top, stuff I noticed over the last few days. And then Bob Ryan and Jackie McMullen, um, two icons, and, and wanted to get them on the same podcast. We taped it on Monday, but we hit some old stuff. We hit some new stuff. We had some hardened stuff. And, uh, and it's really fun. I think you're going to enjoy it. So that's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, I'm taping this piece of the podcast on Tuesday night during the late games. Watched all the early games like Clippers, Timberwolves, and Denver Nuggets. That's all going on right now. If anything crazy happens in the second half of those games, our podcast will be up at that point. So don't hold that against me. I've been watching basketball for 
the past week, like a lot of you have, I think a combination of the holidays, being home, pandemic, plus the NBA really improved their app. I actually like if I miss a game or I feel like I want to rewatch a fourth quarter or whatever, it's been easier than ever to just pop onto that app, whether you're doing it on your iPad or computer or even on your TV and really zoom through some of these games. I did that Sunday morning with Houston, Portland, which I didn't watch that night, but I feel like I've watched a ton of basketball and I wanted to get some thoughts down quick just because on Thursday, I know I'm doing a football podcast setting into week 17. On Sunday, Sal and I do the recap. So the next time I'm conceivably talking about the NBA is going to be a week from now. And I had some thoughts. Some of them are time sensitive. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, I, I wrote down a bunch of different lists of things that I noticed. I'm just going to rip through them as fast as I possibly can. I'm giving myself a 20-minute time limit on this. Uh, rookies. Wanted to start with the rookies. This was a polarizing draft. This was a draft that people were comparing to like 2013, 2000. And then all of a sudden there was um, this counter argument that no, no, actually maybe there's not a lot of star power, but there's a lot, a lot of good players. Uh, everybody's arguing about who should be the first pick, Anthony Edwards, Wiseman or LaMelo. We had way too long to look at it. I was in the Wiseman should be the first pick camp. I didn't understand why Minnesota wouldn't take him. I don't understand what it would have, why it would have been a bad thing to have him and Towns together. And you watch Wiseman on the words. And it, to me, it's like sometimes it's the Malcolm Gladwell blink theory. Sometimes you know in two seconds. You really do. I remember watching Yijin Lan in person. I knew within 30 seconds. I was like, it's not happening for this guy. Felt the opposite about Wiseman. It, it's just so obvious that he should have been the first pick. And it's so obvious that he's a special player. Um, it's going to take a while. I think he's going to have some crap games. He'll have some good games, but just the overall feel, athleticism, the body he has, the things he can do, how fluid he is. Like the stuff I look for when I'm watching rookies is does, does somebody know what they want to do right away when they get thrown the ball, when on defense, are they, do they understand the whole concept of switching? Are they in the right spots? Are they a split second ahead of things instead of a split second behind? I love what I've seen from this guy. And he's a beast. There, there's probably five or six people in the league who have a body like the body that he's going to end up with. I thought it was weird that he wasn't the first pick. I think it's even weirder now. And I say that as that I've really liked four rookies so far. And the guy Minnesota took is one of the four Edwards. He's going to be good. You know, and you know, whether... Whether from a maturity standpoint, he can handle the league and all the things that come with it. I think that was the biggest red flag with it. But you, you just watch it. You know right away. The guy's an incredible athlete. He totally makes sense on a court. Uh, you know exactly what he is. He's a great athlete who can shoot. He has a ton of confidence. He's kind of a character. There's been fun things about, fun interviews with him already and things like that. So for me, I have Wiseman first. I would still have Halliburton second. You've already seen him uh, on Sacramento. The thing that I love about him is he doesn't need the ball to have an impact. He's always in the right spots. He's fun to play with. And he, you just kind of like having him out there, you know? And I think he gives them flexibility if they want to move on from De'Aaron Fox at one point, at some point, and maybe flip him into a score or whatever. But I have Wiseman one, Halliburton two, Edwards three. And I think that's, that has to be the, if you're redoing the draft, that has to be the top three. You would say, well, where's LaMelo? 
Yeah, I know the passes are awesome. He's really fun to watch. He's a better rebounder than I think we expected, but he's really raw. And it, this can't be emphasized strongly enough. His shot, it looks like he's shooting a bowling ball. He is one of those rare guys that when he shoots, you just don't ever feel like it's going in. And, and the thing that I was surprised, I thought he would at least have like the floater driving layup kind of, he'd be able to get, you know, the way, the way Jason Cade would be able to get baskets the first six, seven years of his career. He can't even get those. And uh, I just think he's such a liability as a shooter. It overshadows a lot of the other stuff. He seems really raw to me. I would not put him in the Wiseman, Halliburton, Edwards class. The fourth rookie that, I think has just shown he's belonged. And look, this is early. I'm not saying these are my rookie rankings for the year or anything like that. I'm just saying guys who have jumped out at me so far. Pritchard on the Celtics has been a godsend. And this is a team that has missed a lot of draft picks that were not in the top seven uh, over the last 15 years. And it's very spotty record if you go 10th pick and beyond. With In the Danny Ainge era, it just hasn't been great. And they've missed on some recently. They took Pritchard 26th. The general consensus was, wow, that that was somebody who was going to be headed for the 30s. Had a couple people in my life tell me, like, read up on this kid. This kid's won everywhere he's went. If you go and read about him in Oregon, uh, he won three straight titles on a team that um, was not like a particular powerhouse in, in Oregon, but uh, is just a guy that seems to, his team seemed to win. And I think that's what drew Ainge to him because he tends to like either high pedigree guys from high school or, or guys who have some sort of winning pedigree. And within four games, tonight they had a huge game against the Pacers and um, where they had lost a couple nights ago. And to lose two and to start the season one and three, and especially Indiana team, they have to be better at. Pritchard came in and changed the game. He can, he can create offensively. He knows where to go on defense. He can shoot. And he's just feisty. And he kind of took over the game and to the point that Stevens kept him in so long, he got visibly tired and, uh, and, and they had to take him out. But um, he's been one of the best four rookies I've watched. I can't believe he's on the Celtics. He's exactly what they need. I think their crunch time lineup, you know, until Kemba comes back is going to be him and Smart, Tatum and Brown and Thompson. And I can't believe I'm saying that. I never ever in a million years would have expected three weeks ago that I'd be saying that. There was buzz about him in the mini, in the, the brief camp where Marcus Smart was raving about him. And Marcus Smart's not one of those, like he he's not throwing around compliments left and right. So for him to be like, this guy's a dog, this guy's awesome. That kind of got on my radar, but he's, he's uh, really stepped up. So the Celtics have finally hit on a pick. There's five other guys that I, I like flashes of what I've seen and I want to see more of. Actually, I'll give you six. Okoro on Cleveland. Um, the defense is as advertised. Cole Anthony's had some moments as like a heat check guy off the bench. He sucked tonight. I, I had him as a top, I had it initially as a top five, but he sucked tonight. So I, I downgraded him. Maxi on the Sixers has had moments. Um, Avdija on the Wizards. I like how comfortable he is. It's, he's not putting up great stats or anything, but he clearly like knows what he's doing and belongs on a basketball court. I like, uh, I like Precious on Miami, who is the guy I wish the Celtics had taken in 14. Pre Precious is clearly headed for a 12-year career and will be in playoff games and do stuff. And then Patrick Williams on the Bulls. I haven't watched a ton of the Bulls yet, but Russillo likes him. 
I liked what I've seen. So I, I at least have him marked down. So the, those would be my six. So I would have Wiseman, Halbert, and Edwards, Pritchard as the four that have really stood out. And then Okoro, Anthony, Maxi, Avdija, Precious, and uh, Patrick Williams. And then Lamelo's fun just for what he is. Whether it's ever going to translate to him being on a good team, I guess we'll find out. But my bigger point is, I, I think the rookies have been better than I expected. I, you know, there's not, there's not the uh, the home run kind of oh my god, the Tim Duncan in '98 type guy. But we knew that heading the draft. And by the way, a lot of drafts don't have that guy. I think Wiseman has a chance to be a special five in today's NBA because he can shoot, he can rebound, he can defend, and he is fluid. And uh, I'm just, I'm just a fan. I can't believe the Warriors lucked out. All right, so that's one thing. Second thing, just four, four storylines that I just think are worth hitting quickly. First is the the way they tweaked the schedule this year, I really love it. I love having, like the Celtics played in Indiana two nights ago and then played again tonight. Uh, Dallas came, they played the Lakers on Christmas, then they played the Clippers two nights later. They made a concerted effort to, you know, be, because this was the feedback they got from the player, from the players. The players were like, the quality of basketball is better in the bubble because we didn't have to travel because you let us smoke pot. So the league's like, cool, we'll let you do both of those things. We'll, we'll fix the travel and we'll let you smoke pot. What the outcome has been, and we saw this with Heat Bucks, where the, the Bucks just annihilated the Heat, but now the Heat get to play them again um, later this week. And we saw it with the Celtics Indy thing, where you end up having these two-game series that kind of feel like playoff series. So in the first game, you want to get the upper hand. You're basically trying to sweep the series. You lose that first game like the Celtics did, where they lost a, just an idiotic game in Indiana. And then I have to play him two nights later. And it's like, tonight felt like a playoff game. I watched the whole game. I was, I was really excited and nervous for it because I was like, man, if we lose to Indiana twice, this is not a good sign for the season. So um, I think that's really worked. And, I, you know, the, the reason I think they were hesitant to do it was because of what happened to Miami, right? Where they don't have Jimmy Butler for these two Milwaukee games where you would really need him. But I, that is a tiny downside compared to the upside of having these guys travel less and then kind of the playoff feel of the two game. Plus, if if teams play twice in 48 hours, there's going to be some animosity in the second game. There are no fights in the Pacers Celtic game tonight, but there was an intensity and a physicality that I really enjoyed. So anyway, that was a cool tweak. I'm glad they did it. Second, uh, second thing I wanted to mention that Steph is just, Steph's back. We knew he was going to be back. We knew he was going to be good. It, it's been long enough since we watched him be Steph on a basketball court and got the YouTube videos, like the one where he made 105 straight threes today or yesterday, whenever that was. Um, just really fun to watch him. You know, we've seen a lot of people swimming in the Steph pool the last couple of years, it, like specifically Lillard, Trey Young, who's been good to start the season. Steph's still the best at it. He's still the most fun to watch. He is still the best shooter I've ever seen. And watching him on this weird Warriors team, they ended up pulling out um, pulling out a buzzer beater out of their butt in the third game, and then they won tonight. I think the cool thing about him for me, and one of the reasons I love that guy so much as just as a basketball fan, is Damian Lee comes in and hits the game winner on a play that seemed like it was supposed to go to Steph. The happiest guy in the court was Steph. He's just the, the, the best teammate. He was... 
he was prancing and flying around and ready to jump on the pile like everyone else. You know, every generation has their dude. Duncan was the guy in the generation before. I think it's Steph for this generation. I don't know who it's going to be for the next generation, but the guy who's just a great player, but an awesome teammate who honestly doesn't care who who got who hits the biggest shot, who gets the most points, all that stuff. Um, it's just nice to have him back. And you you think like, which leads, leads me to my third storyline, just that it's fun to have Brooklyn as a contender. The Durant-Kyrie thing is really fun. They're really good offensively. They There are nights, there's going to be 10 nights this season when they're going to look like the best team in the league. They lost Dinwiddie, which, you know, even though his stats weren't great, it it did one thing. It takes away a weapon that I had noticed Um early on where the pace they were playing at is a pace you can play at because they had three ball handlers. They had the two guards, Kyrie and Dinwiddie, but also Durant. And when three of the five guys on the court can handle the ball at an elite level and create plays, and but also push it, it puts so much pressure on the other team. And you end up having these 10-0 runs, these 12-0 runs, stuff like that. So they lose that. I think they can replace a lot of his offense, but that's the one stylistically they lose something that I thought was a huge advantage for them. I think it's going to be a long up and down season for them because, um, you know, the Levert thing's weird. He's kind of overqualified to be a bench guy, but really the thing that makes them special is that other than having Durant Kyrie is that they have this bench where they can bring in Levert and Jared Allen, who would be starters on, you know, 22 other teams. And they could just bring these dudes off the bench. Their second unit is loaded um, kind of in a way that's unusual in 2020. But uh, we'll see how they rally from the Dinwiddie thing. But the big thing for me is just that we have a cool contender team that we didn't have last year. Um, So we have Brooklyn that we didn't have last year. And we also have Stefan Golden State, at least from league pass, um, from a league pass standpoint. It's like, oh, cool. Those are two more teams. And then... The fourth thing I was going to mention from a storyline standpoint is just, I might've missed it on Atlanta. I don't want to overreact yet because they're three, and zero, and they were, you know, all, all either mediocre or worse teams. And they might end up just being the good, bad team because they have a lot of offense. They know who they are and they might be the team that just beats up on other teams. We've also seen, you know, in years past teams start out three, and zero, and then all of a sudden they're three and 20. Um, but the Hawks do have a lot of offense and Trey, I was talking to Russell about it tonight. I don't get it. I don't understand why Trey is treated like he's Michael Jordan in 1997 from an officiating standpoint, but he does get calls and the free throws that he shot in the first three games, I think he had 46 is nuts. It's I test just watching it. The guy gets every call. And if he doesn't get a call, he's yelling at the refs. Like he's a 30 year super 30 year old superstar. But they have a lot of offense. I'm still not sold on them defensively at all. And I, I do think they have a lot of guys who like having the ball, which I think long-term makes me nervous. But they have a lot of firepower, and the Rondo thing was a great signing. So we had, that was one of my locks when we did our over-under podcast last week. And now I'm like, shit, did I, did I miss that one? I might have missed that one. We'll see. We will see. Hey, listen. If I'm wrong about the Hawks, great. That means we have one more fun team. Um, biggest jumps that I've seen from guys. I, I I wrote down seven. Colin Sexton was the one. And this started uh, last season after the All-Star break before the pandemic shut everything down. But Sexton is probably the most, he would be my pick for most improved player 
as if I was betting. I'm not allowed to bet because I have a vote, but if if you can vote, I would I would think Sexton would be the guy. He goes so hard on both ends, and he's gotten better offensively. And uh, you know, I gotta say, like he's kind of the guy I want De'Aaron Fox to be in a lot of ways. Like I feel like Fox hasn't made that jump up a level. And now he's a max guy. I think people think that he's good, but I'm not sure he's the player that people think he is. And uh, Sexton is a guy. That dude just goes hard. They lost tonight, but um, he is one of the most competitive guys in the league. I've been really impressed by him. Sabonis is another one. Sabonis was great last year, but then we didn't have him in the bubble. So I think I think people probably forgot, but um, just a devastating front court guy. And, uh, and uh, he's really been impressive. John Morant, before he went down, looked like he was headed for an all-NBA season. That was a bummer. Jalen Brown has been the best player in the Celtics this year and has gotten better every year of his career. And we're going to talk about the uh, Harden rumors when Jackie and Bob come on, but uh, could not be more pleased where he is. And I remember saying when a couple years ago when there were rumors about could they get Kawhi Leonard, would you trade Jalen for him? And, and I came on this podcast and made a whole case like, look, he has hit every checkpoint that Paul George did in Paul George's first couple of Indiana years. And there's a world in which he might end up being like a 25 point a game scorer with, you know, first or second team, all defense defense. And he's kind of headed that way. He's, he has uh, been awesome. So him, DiFincenzo on, on Milwaukee, I think they needed more from him this year, especially after the Bogdanovich trade went through and, and, He's been pretty good. I, I, he just seems more confident. So um, that's a guy they need for crunch time. Foul him away. Fultz, everyone's been talking about him this week, but it's, it's just an amazing turn of events. If you're a Philly fan, you have to be out of your mind. And, the, and what's crazy is I don't even know if that was one of Elton Brand's worst three traits, but they turned Fultz into Jonathan Simmons in like the 20th pick in a draft two years later. And... Fultz just looks like a real keeper. And I think he's only 22. And then the last one, um, oh, Wendell Carter on on the Bulls just looks like he's got out of whatever coma he was in last year. And then Giannis's brother, who is playing in these games and had a moment on the House of Highlights Instagram feed where he was staring down some Nick two nights ago with some Greek death stare. That was fun. So those are seven guys that jumped out to me. And then some head scratchers, and then we'll go. Um, just some things that have me scratching my head. First, the Pistons. We knew this was going to be bad. We knew this was going to make no sense, but they have turned into my league pass hate watched. I'm not alone because House and Marcelo and I text about them during the uh, Pistons games. Some amazing stuff going on there. Like Jeremy Grant, who's working on a 2017 Westbrookian usage rate for them. He got what he wanted. He left a team that had a chance to win a title for um, a chance to shoot 20 times a game for a team that's going to go 10 and 62. They do some of the goofiest stuff you'll watch on League Pass. They have they have close games where it's like they clear out for Plumlee. And like, like let Plumlee cook. <laughs> clear out. He's facing up his guy to try to get to the basket. Yikes. They're a train wreck. I feel bad for Blake Griffin. And I wonder like, you know, is there an exit for him? Because that is not a fun team to play for. This is not the way to spend the last vestiges of of the whatever's left of his prime. 
and whether he would want to explore a buyout, um, whether whether they, he has any trade value at all, who knows, but I feel bad for him. The Pistons are an abomination. And look, between Gores, um, Troy Reaver, wow. Wow, Troy, what are you doing? If, you're, if your team's going to suck anyway, what are you handing out long-term contracts for? It just makes no sense. That was one thing. The second thing to me is the Kelly Oubre, just watching him on the Warriors, he's fine. He's a rotation guy, a little overpaid at 50 million, but the Warriors signed him. It was a 70 million tax bump to add him. And it was a total panic move. Clay goes down. I guess they thought they were a playoff team. They wanted to kind of salvage it and they bring him in and I would not have done this. And watching them for the first four games and watching them compared to the other Western teams, I don't think they're a playoff team. And I just can't believe that they spent an extra 70 million to basically have a shot in the play-in tournament to maybe sneak into the playoffs. Not great. Not great business by uh by the by the dubs. Um couple more. Darren Fox, I mentioned him earlier. I, I really want to see him be better this year. I I wanna I, I felt like he was potentially in that kind of Donovan Mitchell level guy, and he's just not. And you know, they're they're gonna have to figure out this year what he is, what his ceiling is, and does it make sense to flip him? for more assets and give Halliburton the job. It's something to watch. Next one, New Orleans. I don't know what this team's doing. It's a combination of, they have two guards who can't shoot, Bledsoe and Lonzo. They have Steven Adams for 18 million a year, which makes no sense whatsoever, but everybody's friends with David Griffin, so nobody wants to criticize it. I'm going to criticize it. I thought it was a terrible signing. They play Zion, Brandon Ingram, and Adams together, which makes no sense. I don't know what JJ's doing on this team. He seems like he's a possible trade guy, especially for the Celtics, who have that $27.5 million trade exception. Team's a mess. Are, are you rebuilding? Are you trying to be a playoff team? What are you? And is Stan Van Gundy, do we have any idea whether he's going to be a good coach or not? He hasn't had a meaningful coaching moment in 10 years. This team, I don't see it. So I need to see more. Let's, I'm going to put them in the I-need-to-see-more camp. Right now, that's not a team that makes sense to me. Houston is another one. That team is just uh, on the on the death march until the Harden trade. What, their defensive performance in the Denver game last night was out of control. And they tried to steal the Portland game. Um, and that didn't happen. McCollum wouldn't let it happen. And then the next game, Harden's jogging around. Jimbo Slice doing his thing. Um Oladipo in Indiana, I just watched them twice. That's a weird team because Sabonis and Brogdon are the two best players in the team, but I think Oladipo thinks he's the best player in the team and he's in a contract year and he was really good tonight. That's a team that they kind of don't know who should be holding the steering wheel. Oladipo is an interesting trade piece to me because uh, he does look like he's 95% back. So I'll, I want to see what they do with him. Tatum... I had marked down. He was good tonight. He was actually going to the basket. I please don't ever do step back threes again, please, for love of God. Scott Brooks was another one I had just because the Wizards are on four. I think they've been the worst coach team I've watched the last week. And uh, I don't know if he's long for that job. And then the last one is just Toronto starts out 0-3. They lost to New Orleans, San Antonio, and Philly. The big thing for me is their centers are Aaron Baines, Alex Lynn, and Chris Boucher. 
And last year they had Serge Baca and Marcus And this was a team that I felt like they overachieved last year because they were defending the title. Even in the playoff series, I have no idea how that series went seven games against Celtics, but it did. There was a lot of playoff know-how. And now it just feels like a different team. So if you were saying to me, 0-3, is this who the Raptors are? I would argue this might be who they are. I'm not saying they're going to go 10-62, and but this might be a 500 team. And maybe even worse. I thought they were going to be better than that. They're going to need more from uh, Ananobi, who they need him to be the breakout guy. I don't know if it's going to happen. But um, Toronto's one to watch because if they kind of move out of the picture completely in the East, that opens the door for a team like the Hawks. That opens the door for a weirdo team. I thought it was going to be the Wizards, but maybe it'll be the Hawks. But there's going to be a weirdo team that ends up with a record better than we thought. And it's, I guess the candidates right now are the Magic and the Hawks. So there you go. That's everything I saw for the first um, first week of the season. We're going to take a break. Then we're coming back with Bob Ryan and Jackie McBone. We taped this yesterday. Uh, I love doing it. Love talking to them. And uh, let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Peloton Spring the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. You're going to start wearing shorts. You're going to start wearing bathing suits. You're, just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside. Do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, Full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina Chicken Menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken Menu at Taco Bell now. All right, we're taping this Monday afternoon. We promised this for a while. Jackie McMullen has come on this podcast a bunch of times. We'll continue to do so. We had to get the commish, the original commish, Bob Ryan, um, who has seen it all, who's been following the NBA. You, How far back with Russell do you go? Do you remember as like can, most as, of the Russell? As, no, I, I came in, he's absolute peak, 1964. He's, he's 28 years old. He's at his peak. Absolutely. Then uh, as a anti-Celtic, I was a, a Philadelphia oriented guy. Um, I, I, I rooted against them fervently. Uh, listened to Johnny most got upset, you know, and I was etc. cetera. Uh, but went to games. My, my friends, I fell in with a bunch of basketball freaks uh, of junkies. And uh, we would go to the double header games, you know, yeah. and the, and the, uh, the Wilt games. And then when he was traded over in, in the January of 65, and maybe Laker game, you know, I, I was an Elgin guy. And, and uh, so we would go to games at $2 in the second balcony. That's at the Boston Garden, two, 25 cents on the tee from the Boston College Green Line down the garden. You didn't need much money. Uh, and and it was, it was I, one of my favorite stories, and I'll shut up in a minute, is the doubleheaders. 
I was witness to a, a, a record that has yet to be broken, and I doubt ever will be broken. And that is, I saw Will Chamberlain on a night in which he scored 52 points in the first game of a doubleheader against the expansion Supersonics, set an NBA record by missing 22 free throws. Oh, my God. <laughs> he was eight for 30. His awesome. You know, I'm a box score freak, and I hate the three because the three distorts the old box score. Will was 22-8-52. And, and there's this box score, eight for 30, and he still scored 52. It's like science fiction. You're trying to explain, you know, the Tyrannosaurus is the kids today that such a thing existed, but I can assure you that he did. Well, can I, can I just say there in a nutshell is why Bob Ryan is Bob Ryan. <laughs> like he we, remembers the game and what people shot from the free throw line. Oh, but how could you, Jackie, when a guy misses 22 and sets a record? Yeah, I guess. Oh, come on. I mean, that's a, I, you know, that, that's a, that's a no brainer as you know. No. I remember I like seven years ago, I was working on a call about asterisk titles the NBA titles where there's some sort of either asterisk or foot. I decided they would be called footnotes. Right. And I called Bob because I wanted to find out about the 1973 finals and have a check separated shoulder. Right. And Bob proceeded to rip off the Celtics record during the Lakers that <laughs> against the Lakers <laughs> that year, they were four and oh, and you just, you laid out the entire case, but I, I basically cold called you. You had no idea why I was calling and just, you summoned it. Doesn't no, but matter. I mean, yeah, and the thing was that uh, not only did they sweep him, but Cowens averaged 31 points and 19 rebounds in his four games against Wilt. Of course and he did. Wilt couldn't deal with the mobility thing at that point. You know, he had no lateral mobility at that point whatsoever. Anyway, had the Celtics beaten the Knicks, they would have they would have annihilated the Lakers in the finals. I watched the Celtics last night. I don't remember what anybody had. <laughs> last night. <laughs> it was less than 24 hours well, you, ago. You tried to block it out of your mind that game. Yeah, um, exactly. Do, do you two, you consider that 2020 title, the Lakers one, do you consider that a footnote title or a legitimate title? Because I'm actually on the corner of, I thought it was a legitimate title. I, I thought the way oh, the, 100%. the 100%. equal equal atmosphere, equal background, everybody was going against the same things and they kind of rolled over people. I don't, I wouldn't put a footnote on that one. I would certainly not either. I, I entirely endorse it because the circumstances were just extraordinary. They were different. Uh, completely different. The the let me the best person survived that whole bubble thing mentally, physically, the whole thing. No, they deserved it. I I I, I will. I have no problem with it. Yeah, and you you just can't emphasize more the mental fortitude it required for this season. And you find I find out more and more. I'm sure this is true with you, Bill. Now, the more you talk to people, you understand how daunting it was for so many people. People who have a close family unit that didn't see them for several months. Because, all right, maybe they could handle it, but their kids were suffering. And when your kids are suffering, you suffer. We all have children. You know that. And so all these little subtleties that most of us probably didn't think about. And you say, well, okay, the NBA players are always on the road. They're away from their families a lot. This was different. It required a different kind of mental tenacity. And I don't think it makes somebody weak if you didn't necessarily possess it. The best example for me of who suffered the most in the bubble was Pascal Siakam. There's no question about it. Now, Pascal Siakam, to me, earned his all NBA strikes. He had a great year. He, he's one of those guys we're watching the trajectory go up and up and up. And then the bubble hits, and he's in an apartment, and his best friend is his brother, and they have nowhere to go. And he doesn't, he hasn't been doing this long enough. And I know this sounds crazy. He hasn't been doing this long enough to know how to train without a court and a ball and a teammate and a gym and a coaching staff. And you saw the results of it when Toronto mm. went into the bubble. He was a disaster. Now, his numbers don't look disastrous, 
but they needed him to be Pascal Siakam with the capital P and capital S, and he wasn't close. And is it all his fault? Not necessarily, but should he have done better about keeping himself in shape, keeping himself mentally prepared? The answer is yes. And so young guys like that who were pivotal to their team made a huge difference. And so why did the Lakers win? Because they had the guy, LeBron James, who made sure nobody was going to slough off and everybody was going to understand exactly what they needed to do, what was expected of them. And if you weren't doing it, he might show up at your house or on your Zoom to make sure you were doing it. Mm. So there you it is. You agree with that, Bob? Yes. I mean, I, I, I Jackie spoke to, uh, with detail about Siakam that I couldn't, but I know how subpar he was. Yeah, and how important he is. I mean, he was coming off a terrific year. This was his year that he. This is his breakthrough year, and, right. and, uh, and on the public scene. And um, yeah, so that's interesting. No, I, I, I back to the original question. No asterisk for me. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, you. I'm hearing stuff even from this first week of the season. You know, like a team like Dallas, they come here, mm-hmm. they play the Christmas game, and then they have to stay here for two more days to play the Clippers, and the way they're doing this protocol stuff, it's like, you're in your hotel, you're not leaving. You're, you're staying in your room. You are not going anywhere. And from what I heard, and this, they're not the only team. I think the Celtics are in the same situation now because they're doing two in Indiana. Yeah, they're in Indiana. Where it's just yeah. like, oh, great. I'm in my hotel suite for the next <laughs> 60 hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, people think like, this is going to be a little like what you talk about with Siakam, where the, the mental piece of this season is going to be a really big thing because these guys can't go anywhere. They're too famous anyway to go anywhere, but now they really can't go anywhere. No. I mean, the bubble was one thing. There was a certain uh, 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 um, curiosity about it. Uh, people were able saw these guys in unusual circles. They saw each other. Coaches were talking about how they would be taking the walks and they'd be seeing the other coach and, you know, from the other team and they'd say hi and have a little chat. It was, a, it was a, something about it. Was, it was uh, the word I'm searching for. It was something of an adventure. It was a thing that that you, what you knew it was, it was odd, and when it was over, you don't ever want to do it again. But you're kind of proud. It's like I feel. Oh my! And please, everybody listening, I am not elevating myself. Uh, uh, my army experience was U.S. Army Reserve. I spent four months on active duty at Fort Knox, Kentucky, in the winter of '68, '69. All right, it was not fun, but it was an experience that I wouldn't want to go through. But I had I never had more laughs in my life because we were bonded. Mm. All us, we were bonded together, and and I, it's my biggest experience with that. And uh, really, I wouldn't want to do it again. But I'm proud. I, you know, I'm glad I got through it. I think in the end, this is an an adventure that these some of them can look at it. They'll never want to do it again. Now, what they're going through this year is yet a, is is a whole different matter. As uh, 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 with the the travel possibilities of, of all the things that can go wrong. On top of this isolation thing, this is a whole other matter, and and it's an uncharted. There are uncharted waters, and I and I think that the public should understand that uh, that there could be some odd uh, uh, things going on, such as a team being down fifty at the half. Right, right. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of your favorite box scores this year. At the same time, like thinking about some of these obstacles, which are obstacles, but compared to fifty years ago, like you're traveling with the Cowan Celtics in the seventies. You're getting dropped up in a cornfield, you know? You're getting dropped up in a cornfield because there's no train that can get you there. Seriously. Well, and and then also there's there's switching planes, right? They're you're you're landing two different cities, they're flying Cowens is flying coach. Like like that's a pretty crazy era too. And those guys all had second jobs. That's the part I always I laugh at the most. But people wonder why all these old guys are trying to get on as many commercials as they can, is because most of them 
I mean, Bob Cousy was a was a uh, auto driving instructor in the offseason because mm. he couldn't afford to be couldn't afford to be you know one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived. I do think I think the one thing you'll see with this year, and it's already happened a little bit already, is the injury the injuries are going to skyrocket. It's just it's impossible. You know, we we keep talking about medical science and the advances of medical science, and and I know people don't like it um, when people have rest on the box score. But but science proves it works. It proves that players that do take those rests and do plan if you're you plan it accordingly, you're a better player, a fresher player, a more effective player at the end of the season. There's no data that suggests any differently. Okay. Now you're asking these guys to come back after a very, very short amount of time. And we've already seen Dinwiddie. I don't I mean Towns is fractured wrist. That's a little freaky. That's yeah, fluky. Fluky. But what I said that to someone else today, that exact word, fluky, Bill. And the GM said to me, it's fluky, but it's because guys are all running around the court a little willy-nilly, like not quite the way they normally run. You get tangled up with people. That's not fluky. That's how just about, how about Kawhi getting yeah. his getting a, his elbow from his teammate by, by, yeah. so, so, by flailing, right? So yeah. Yeah. But to me, like rest, that's a real thing. And I know people don't like it, especially the old school guys. You know, if you start talking to Mikhail about it who play with a broken foot in a space this big, he doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> but it really is the future and it really is the way you win championships is you keep those guys healthy in a way over a very long course of a season. And I just don't know how viable that's going to be right now. Of course, the one, one possible answer, which is never going to fly because the owners need the, want the money of the games, is, okay, have a 70-game season. You know, acknowledge yeah, that. that. Acknowledge yeah. that the times have changed. I mean, this year is going to be, but you know, twenty one, twenty two. Okay, let's go to stick with seventy. Not going to do that, you know. But that that would help. Well, if they they talking about expansion again, which is just hilarious, just hilarious. But that's wait, I too. Jackie, I started that. I want all the credit. Okay, I, would, I, would, I planted my flag on Expansion Island because that's right. the only way they're going to make back right. this money. So who do you want, Vegas or Seattle? Which one? It's going to be both of them if they do it. It's, yeah, they're it, going to have to. It's got to be an even number. Yeah. And it's going to be five billion bucks because like this it was too. I like it, too. This was theorized to me like a month and a half ago. And I talked about it on the pod. Oh, okay. The only way to replace the revenue that they're losing this year is with expansion. And I asked Cuban about it. He was on the podcast last week and he uh-huh. made the key point that I've heard as the counter argument, which is, hey, if we're bringing in two more teams. Now the media share gets, the you know, revenues. instead of 130th, yeah. it's 130, right. 132. Right. So basically we're grabbing money up front, but long-term we're losing money. And he was basically like, it would have to be a big number. It would have to be 3 billion for Seattle and two and a half million for Vegas, whatever. All right. So I'll play devil's advocate. Do you think that arena that the hot, they're playing hockey in, in Seattle is an NBA ready arena? Well, here's the thing. If you're Bezos and you have a kajillion dollars and, mm-hmm. and people are kind of turning on you. Wouldn't a great way to win some people back be to bring the Seattle Supersonics expansion yeah, franchise? Gotta, yeah, but you got to do something about that arena because the people I've talked with has told me that arena is not an NBA ready arena. And I don't mm. know how much money and time it costs to get that ready. Bob, you were you were covering the NBA when they expanded too fast. And it had a yes. lot of uh it had a lot of uh negative effects. And then they did it a second time in the nineties. I think they'll be more careful this time, but the, the 70s are so weird. I remember working on my book trying to assess it where you had all the young guys are going to the ABA. They, they're doubling the number of teams in the NBA. And it's like, how the fuck do I know? How, how can I tell 
you know, if somebody, if Bob Mackley is averaging 34 a game, what does that mean if the league is so diluted? Uh, consider some of the things that happened in the immediate uh, aftermath of, of the expansion, which was in the 1970-71 season, when they went from 14 to 17 by adding Cleveland, uh, Portland, and Buffalo. Uh, in 1972-73, that same year, one team won 68 and one team won nine. And, mm. and, and uh, it, there was direct results, you know, of, of, of that, uh, clearly. Um, yeah, it was a, and then, yeah, you're right. And then this was concurrent with the ABA. Oh, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was really wild at, at that point. No kidding. But the teams that they let in, Buffalo got, was a victim of the worst screw job in NBA history. And, and, and the fans in Buffalo did nothing wrong. They rightfully stayed away when, when, uh, uh, Bob, uh, Robert, uh, Snyder, Snyder, Paul Snyder and John Paul Watt wrecked, wrecked yeah. the team, you know, yeah. That was a wonderful franchise. I, I have fond memories of great, my, including one of my favorite nights ever. You guys will love this. I, I know Jackie's heard this story. You probably have too, Bill. One night in Buffalo, um, it's circa 73, 74, when they had gotten good. And uh, Silas says to me, uh, how many are out there? I said, well, they're saying it's going to be in full house, the biggest crowd in the history of Western New York. They always put everything in that framework. Biggest this and that, the history of Western New York. And he said, good, we're going to send them all home unhappy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But that, that was one of my all-time favorite guys, Paul Silas. So you have Buffalo over Seattle for for, for cities getting screwed? Because they're definitely in the finals. It's one and one A. I think Buffalo, yeah, Seattle was about, you know, they were unfortunate. The, the city had built, you know, they built the, the dome. They, they built the football stadium. They weren't going in for a third one. And and uh, and, now, and once they got sold, you know, to the wrong guy from Oklahoma it was done. City, gee, yeah. I wonder what's going to happen now. Of course, yeah. we always worried about that with the Patriots in St. Louis at once upon a time. Yeah, but that was never real. That one was never real. It wasn't. <laughs> I, you, you know, I, we don't have time I, to. But I digress. But no, but you're right, uh, Bill. Uh, I've long advocated that that Seattle got screwed, and and but I'm I'm nobody's. But a few of us left that that are you know waxing uh, you know enthusiastic and and finally about Buffalo. But let me tell you, that was a good franchise. It's weird because I had Stern probably on my podcast at least once a year. Yeah, as the Seattle thing was happening and then after Oklahoma City and all of a sudden they had Durant and Westbrook and Harden and they had this great young team and Seattle just got screwed over. I was never satisfied with his explanation from it because he oh, was way too... Was on his hands. Oh my God. And, yeah. and Clay yeah. Bennett immediately became this important owner in the league yeah. and I just never really understood what his angle was other than that he wanted to make Seattle this kind of stalking horse for all these other teams to get arenas built the same way LA was the NFL team. That's the only explanation I could ever come up with. What but do you guys that was think? a big one with him. He was always uh, he was so focused on arenas. Remember what I remember when the palace opened, you know, the Detroit Pistons play, it was spectacular, right? Spectacular. And, and Stern said to me, yep, this is how it's going to go going forward. I said, are you sure? Cause Davidson was an old school owner who, you know, loved his community. They were way, way outside Detroit. It never made sense to me to be all the way out there, except for what was the place we used to go about the brothers and all the, the restaurant. We always oh, used to oh, go. oh, oh, it'll come to me. Of course, it'll come to us. Home. Yeah. But anyway, that that never made sense to me. Uh, but the funny thing about expansion, if you think about the expansion of the 90s, which I was like two Canadian teams, forget about it. And, you know, God rest the Vancouver Grizzlies skull and and big country reefs beyond that. I don't know why we remember that, but think about it. The Toronto Raptors and Miami Heat both won championships. Think about that. It's pretty good. That's success. When your expansion team can win a championship within, I mean, the Heat won it fairly. The one I mean, left undone is, is a Buffalo slash Clippers. 
They they were the one that have not yeah. one of the three of those three that time. That, it'll three. never happen. Yeah. It, sure it sure doesn't feel like it will. But it's been yeah. 43 years since since Portland won. By the way, you mentioned Seattle. I just got to throw this in there as well about the, if you're an old time Seattle fan. When they won that championship, they had the two year run where they went. They lost in the finals in '78. We know DJ went over 14 yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. in the seventh game, and they won it in 79 when DJ had a phenomenal series in which, among other things, as a six foot four guard, he blocked 19 shots in a five game series. Wow. But yeah. anyway, who, you know, and while averaging 20 points a game, my point is that was. And then a, it was called a cancer. That was <laughs> a young team that could, uh, you thought could have been a dynasty. Honest to God, Gus Williams and him. Jack Sigma was young. Yeah. Uh, the only guy who, uh, uh, Lonnie Shelton, who of course eventually ate himself out of the league. Mm. You know, he was a, but that looked like a team that had the foundation of, of, of long term greatness. Was uh, Bruce Sears on, was he on that team? You know, Bruce I, Sears? I have to check. The late Bruce Seals. So yeah, he just passed away. Just passed away. I had no, do you know about him? Yeah, I do. I used to play basketball over there at lunch. So, so this guy, uh, Bill Bruce Seals, he he was uh, he played for the Seattle SuperSonics I, I, in the seventies. In the Sonics, yeah. Yeah, I can't, I'm not sure he was on that championship team, but he, anyway, he ended up getting out and going to uh, Dorchester, Massachusetts, and ran the Boys and Girls Club, the, the Colonel Daniel Moore Boys and Girls Club, and so this former NBA giant was teaching all these little kids. Well, I would like to tell you, he was teaching them how to play the basketball, but he was teaching them how to tie your shoes, how to be nice to other kids. And he used to open up the gym for us, Bob. He used to play over there at lunchtime. That's how we ended up going over there was because of Bruce. Really fantastic guy. Yeah. Anyway, we... But I had no idea who'd done in my nose all these years because I remember the name very, very well, but I didn't. And he died, yeah. Bill, within the last two weeks. Just died, yeah. And, uh. and, you know, I find out that there was this beloved figure. This it was a very, very big story in, in the Boston community. And, wow. and I was oblivious. I'm, I'm, I can't believe but it. Most of our listeners have no idea who he is, so we should probably move on. <laughs> this episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now, I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is... The one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad from you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries. Maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp. A convenient and flexible way. Since entirely online right now, it's easy to get started too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit betterhelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Bill Simmons. Well, speaking of Boston, you mentioned the windows and that Sonics team. I was talking to my dad last night. This is Sunday night. We're talking after they blew the Indiana game. And I've been thinking about this window the Celtics had that I don't think we realized was a window because they had these young guys, the Tatum and Brown and smart, and then they make these free agent signings. And you look back, I felt it last year, in especially in the Miami series, thinking like, hey, man, this the East is never more open and accessible right. than it is right now. We don't have to worry about Brooklyn yet. Milwaukee's just going to get better and better. Miami's going to get better. This is the window right now, and they couldn't get it done. And you go backwards to 2018, LeBron sneaks into the finals with the worst Cavs team he ever had. And that Celtics team didn't have Hayward or Kyrie. They almost get, win a game seven anyway. Yep. 2019 is a disaster. Um, there's this window there, and now it's gone. And now I feel like they're not one of the top four teams in the East. They, they, they had these three prime draft picks. One of them turned into Colin Sexton, who's really good on this Cavs team. Good. They got two years of Kyrie out of that. They got the Sacramento and Memphis picks. They thought were going to be these signature picks. Neither of them turned into turned into Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith. And I'm starting to wonder, did did they miss the window here? Now I know they have Tatum and Brown, but just in terms of competing for a talent with this for a title with the nucleus they have now, they might have missed it. So many teams got better uh, in the offseason. It was a really productive one for several teams, and uh, uh, including a team like Atlanta, which I'm telling you, they got better. And and um, so Philadelphia on, certainly got better on paper. Uh, yeah, no, you're, I think you're right. But then again, the, the, the two ingredients they didn't have, they, they've addressed one of them, I think, decently, which is the uh, Thompson thing, you know, that physical yes. quality. Uh, I bring back Aaron Baines, I was screaming all last year, you know, just when he started hitting those threes the way he did. So he was really a, a very too, productive player. Too injury prone. He's too injury prone. Okay. But, and the other thing, of course, is the shooting thing. You know, they have lacked that guy. I've been saying screaming for a couple of years that they had nobody on their bench. Forget about, you know, it didn't have to be Lou Williams. It didn't have to be uh, the Vinny, the Johnson, uh, the incarnate. All it had to be was, was Eddie House and, and, and 08. They needed someone to, that you could rely on to come off the bench and hit some jump shots. Somebody who put on his IRS form, registered jump shooter, you know, under occupation. And they, that is why they drafted Aaron Neesman. Now he's yeah. not ready yet. And also secondarily, but maybe not so much secondarily, why they drafted Pritchard. Uh, and they need that guy. And they haven't had that. And that's the one thing that they, if had they had that, that component, then maybe they would have done better. But I think it is scary to think that a window might have been, if not closed, really, really narrow. Hey, listen, the window, the window fell from the third floor and smashed into a million pieces when Gordon Hayward wrecked his leg five minutes into his NBA right. we'll never debut know. with the Celtics. We'll no, never. really, that that changed everything because you lost him that year, and then the next year, the mental gymnastics for that dude, the second yeah. year, you know, coming was brutal, and then he's just been injury prone ever since, and. That to me, and see, because that caused so many other issues, internal issues with Gordon. Everybody liked Gordon. There was never any problem with him as a personality-wise. Good, good dude, good, good teammate, didn't complain, didn't cause problems. But internally, there was always this, this, you know, Jalen Brown was on the ascent and, and Gordon was like, you know, in pieces. And their camps were always bickering about who should get the minutes and the shots. And it wasn't those two guys. Those two guys, I can't stress enough, they got along fine. But it was all the peripheral noise. And you know what coaches always say? If you can ignore the peripheral noise, 
you have a chance to just ignore it altogether. It just wasn't possible with them. So there was always this sort of knit, knit noise in the background. And, and so, you know, Kyrie leaving and Kemba coming, and, but Gordon, right from the beginning, crashing and burning and never really rising from the ashes. Well, he was playing awful well at the end of last year. Yeah, but then he got hurt, and then in the playoffs, for whatever reason, in game one, when they're up, you know, it was it it, it just then, of course, he gets hurt immediately and tried. Okay, I guess he's okay. He had twenty eight last night, uh, so I guess that pinky is healed. But no, but you remember the layup? I know Bill remembers this. There was a layup he missed during the playoffs. Short, he short armed it, and that's that's not injury. That's confidence, confidence, comfort level of being on part of a team. It just. When he came back, it just, whatever the plan was, and the plan was him and Kyrie, remember the two of them in preseason that first year, how much everybody was talking about how they fed off one another, how great they were. And and that started to crumble pretty early on the second year because Kyrie's looking at him like, what are you doing, dude, right? So that all went away. So, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that last last night, Sunday night, because Charlotte beat Brooklyn. Right. And Hayward had 28 and was kind of sticking it to Kyrie's team. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting wrinkle, but. Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes people are just snake bit on teams, yeah. right? Yeah. All this speaks to something that we have us know, and people uh, th- th- just don't grasp enough, and that is that the, the, the human factor of the game, the fact that the beauty of this game is to despite people in one ball. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, I remember when, when, when the young Kareem, the young, no, the young Lou Alcindor, you know, came, comes in before he, he announces his name change. And you look at him some nights and you say, who needs a playbook? Throw him the ball. Let him get 60, 70. You know, who can stop him? But, you know, but if you, can, you can't do that. The other guys have to be involved eventually, if not, you know, every other week and second. And, and the subtlety and, and why certain players are great to play with and other players who are statistics you know, maniacs aren't good to play with, you know. Um, it's the beauty of the game. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Pete Carrillo. He wrote a book called the weak take from the strong. And, 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 and it was all about this uh, aspect of it. And that, so what we're talking about here, it's it, mere accumulation of great talent is simply not enough. It never was. It never will be, which is the genius of both Auerbach and Phil Jackson to manipulate, to, to, uh, you know, orchestrate to oversee the talent and to implant the right thought processes and, and and insist on the right thought processes for these talented teams that they both oversaw. You know, it's funny. I learned more from Bob about basketball growing up than anybody. My dad's probably either 1A or 1B in that conversation. You were on this basically from the 70s on about it wasn't just about throwing talent together. It That talent had to fit. The motivations had to be the same way. And it seems like in 2020, teams still haven't figured that out. You even look at how the Clippers were thrown together last year. And I thought it was all a good idea. But then you think like the more we read about all the stories coming out from that season, you had this, the old right. crew, the old Clippers who basically yeah. had won nothing. They won two playoff games, but they had yeah. their certain way they did it. Kawhi yeah. and Paul come in, Doc's letting them decide when they get to practice. Um, they're sitting out games, whatever they want. And it's like, how did we not realize this was going to self-destruct in the bubble? Jackie, as you when you like Philly's a good example right now of a team yeah. that I feel like could go either way. You just wrote about them mm-hmm. from a chemistry standpoint. The fragility now with the twenty four seven, the the talk sports talk cycle, Twitter, social yeah. media versus what you know we were dealing with in the seventies. It's night and day, and you can have like one thing and it unravels, right? Right, right. I saw the Sixers to me, 
uh, are interesting, endlessly interesting, actually. I've said before, I think I said it last time we were together, or one of the times we did, I do think these guys can play together and beat Simmons. I have, we have the numbers, we've seen them. And I thought it was really interesting that the first thing Daryl Moore did was go back and look at that 2018 team that had Covington and Reddick and Sarich and Embiid and Simmons. And that's the lineup that worked. And he, you know, he was looking at the film and he goes back and he says, well, why did they break this up? Right? So he says, okay, who's my Reddick? He gets Seth Curry. Pretty close. I mean, Seth Curry at this point, pretty close to what Reddick does. Who's my Covington? He gets Danny Green, a three and D guy who's streaky with the threes, but can still guard. Now Danny Green's a little older, but again, pretty comparable. And then you plug Tobias Harris into where Darius Sarich is. That's an upgrade. That's an upgrade over that lineup. So now you put them all together. And again, let's talk about the peripheral. There will always be noise with those two guys. It's amazing to me how many people in Philadelphia hate Ben Simmons. I do not understand it. I don't understand mm. it because he doesn't shoot threes. Like really? And so. He seems to manage it very well, the peripheral. I really do think he's the kind of kid, he likes people to challenge him. He, he seems to respond to people getting in his face. That's how he responds. Joel's the complete opposite. So the key to the whole thing to me is, can Joel, Joel block out all the peripheral? He's off to an incredible start. He is. They're, as a team, they're mixed results. But as, as he, you know, because they're going to play him in and out of the post, so they have a chance to do it. But I go back to like, sometimes chemistry has to be created by the leaders of your team. And that's where it's fish or cut bait for Simmons and Embiid. If they can't keep this together, if they can't do it together, it's over. I want to say one thing. We were talking about the chemistry thing and one team, I think, would we, do, we, do you guys agree that the, the Warriors at their peak had it? They, they did it. They played, they, they, they knew, everybody seemed comfortable with but it was Wait. difficult, Bob. It, you know, the well, first, it was a, first title wasn't difficult. I no. think it became difficult. It yeah. became extremely difficult. And yeah. it was a slog. And when they won, it wasn't joy. It was relief. And, you know, Chorus in Basketball Love Story asked every coach, when you won, was it joy or relief? And I think it's a great question. And, and it was joy that first year. And then it was relief from there on out. And it was Draymond Green's personality got bigger and bigger. That made things a little more difficult. Then you added Durant to the mix who never really fit in by his own choosing because they did welcome him. Curry is like one of those dudes like, yeah, come on, man. Come on over my house. Have anything you want in the fridge. I don't care. Eat my prime rib. I'll have a hamburger, you know? And Durant's like, okay, but why is he giving me the prime rib? You know, he's a thinker and he can't get past. <laughs> no, it's true. It's like, What's in the prime rib? Is it poison? You know, this is the way Durant thinks. And so Durant never settled in there and felt part of it, even though he was a major reason, maybe the major reason, they won. So your point is a good one. But man, it was I'm telling you, talking to those guys, I covered those scenes. It was a major struggle. Major struggle. The 76 Celtics where that was the classic relief rather than exultation when it was over. The one guy who was uh, who was ex uh, you know, exempt from that was Jojo, who was the final MVP and deservedly. And uh, and and was but the, the rest of them were worn out and needed to get that season over with which way and they did well that was a good that's a good example of the five-year run right which i think afflicted the warriors too where yeah, you bet. the yep. by that fifth year you're running on fumes red tried to bring some energy that year he brings in charlie scott that brings all of its and own tommy, tommy it, 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 
the Tommy thing was over. It was was running dry. Tommy Hudson and as the coach, I mean, yeah, as a coach, I mean, it's just like, hey, this until how many times, endless times, you know, the, the cycles. And Red was the first one who to, to, that I remember, at least to my ears, talking about the shortened cycles that, that were uh, of the coaching cycle. Uh, even then, uh, Red Auerbach. All right, but how about your boy Bird? Three years. No one should coach for more than three years. And by the way, he's wrong about that. He's wrong about that. But that was but, he kept, but he kept his word though. He should have. He should have coached one more year. They might have won. He did he keep kept his, his word. word. And yeah, people, you know, right? He did never been back. If we get to the finals, and he had no chance in the finals. But what, what, as you know, uh, what greats him and will always great him was that lost opportunity uh, against the other year. That jump that, ball, the yeah, jump, the ball. jump ball. He blames himself, and 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 they would have, yeah. they would have, they had, I believe they had not, if not swept, they totally dominated Utah. They would, yeah. they would kick Utah's ass. So just so people know, what we're talking about there's a jump ball. They're playing the Bulls, and the, and, the, and the Pacers think they can win. And they're set up for a jump ball, and, and Smith's is jumping, and Dick Carter's yelling, "Larry, timeout, timeout!" And Bird's like, "Well, why should we have a timeout? We're, we're good." And then he realizes Smith's never tips the ball forward; he always tips it backwards. And and they knew, and, and Reggie Miller was waiting the minute he tipped backwards to step in front of Pippen, Pippen, and all those guys. That, you know, Reggie Miller was there, and Pippen just knew what to do and stepped right in front of him and took the ball. And and they all say that's Larry blamed himself, Bill, for that, and, you know, for not being able well, to. Well, he said time out too late. You know, I should have listened to Harder. <laughs> Harder was a good coach. He also, he told Jalen that, uh, and Jalen was really proud of this because Jalen loved Larry, that he, if he could do the 98 series again, he would have ridden Jalen more than he did. And Jalen was always like, because Jalen was a young guy who was mad that he felt like he was one of the best players the team should have played for. And then, Larry looks at you for five seconds and is like, I should have played you more. And Jalen melts like butter. And it's like, oh, yeah, the legend. Yeah, yeah. I love this guy. <laughs> uh, I think with the culture stuff, though, you know, like Curry's a good example, right? You see Sunday night, Damian Lee hits a three. Curry's the happiest guy on oh, the yeah, floor. He's the best. He's the best. Curry, he's Duncan. Duncan. Yeah, yeah there's Duncan. certain Duncan. guys like that that can yeah. create that culture single-handedly, which is why the clay thing was such a bummer because I, I don't yeah. think that Warriors team's a playoff team. Curry misses now two years. In his yeah. prime. Well, it, it just hurts him that Green's not ready out of the box. Draymond Green needs to be sculpted, ripped, pissed off, ready to go. And he might not, not be that guy anymore. He was over three in those. Yeah. So yeah. Um, going back, going back to the '70s stuff. You talked about that '76 team, uh, kind of running on fumes there the last year. Did you feel that way about the '80 Celtics? Did you feel like? Uh, do you think that was injuries or more that they were together too long? The uh, the eighties team, you mean? Oh, uh, well, just the that end of that decade. Eighty seven was clearly injury. That's when, uh, when up until that night in February, when when Larry Nance stepped on his foot, Kevin McHale was ridiculously great. I mean, yeah, just stupidly great, just just hilariously great. I mean, nobody could stop him. The only guy that stopped him was the, the finally held him under twenty and took him at fifty games was Carl Malone, and mm. no one else could even contend with him. And then he he was he. he it was still kept, you know, he was never the same. They didn't have any depth. The year before, as you know, they came off the bench with Walton, Wedman, Seasting, and 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 they they were terrific off the bench. That year, the bench was Fred Roberts and Darren Day, and, yeah, and Fred Roberts had to wind up starting too many games. All right, so um, so that, that that was about that they went as far as they did was amazing, really. And yet, if they win that game four, if Kevin controls that rebound, yeah, <laughs> you know, magic. Bert, Bert. 
Bird says to this day, he thinks that was the most talented team, even more so than 86, which always shocks me when he says I, that. I'm not, I'm, mm. I'm, uh, I know, I, I feel like, wow. I, You've I'm, heard him say that. I mean, it's kind of, because Walton's a non-factor right out of the box in 86, 87, right out of the box. What did he play, four games, six games total? And I think total. But you okay. know, just back when he finally played late in the year and, and he got out there. Oh, he was fabulous. I remember. The second unit suddenly was a force. You and I were sitting next to each other. See, I don't. Rem- I don't remember the score. I just remember who I was sitting next to, and it was you. <laughs> That's what I remember. Look at this. They're, look at these guys. They all have a role now. They all know what to have a function. They're, they're, oh my god! And it's all because of Walton. You can't yeah. explain. You know how I feel. And then, and then once, once the injuries came, Bill with that team, and everybody became a little more mortal, including McHale and Bird. Then McHale and Bird's relationship started to sour a little bit. Mm. Uh, you know, Paxson came in. That seemed to be a bad mix. Uh, yeah, real didn't go well. And, and I just, uh, I think it was hard for each of them to accept who they now were, you know? And that's, that's the last guys to know that they're no longer dominant are the guys that are dominant. You know? There were teasing mm-hmm. moments, you know, such as the game against the Knicks in 90 when they scored 157 points yeah, in the yeah. first game. And, well, that's and Reggie. Up, now you're getting Reggie involved. They wound up losing the series. Yeah, they got Reggie involved too late. Reggie should have been playing sooner. You know. And then the Indiana series after the one Larry bang his head in the floor, you know, they and they that year they they finally didn't have enough gas and you know, yeah. no. It was, and the it Pistons was, were good too. Let's not discount the Pistons. Oh no, team. they were Pistons. they were great. They were a really good team and they were they were they were built to beat the Boston Celtics. That's they were constructed with that specifically in mind. So Well, it's funny to think of the eighties Celtics and eighties Lakers under the current context we live in now, where nobody wants to stay on the same team for more than four years. Oh, like no. you figure yeah. If you took like 1983 McHale and 2020'd him and you had 30 teams in the league and you had some agent who's, you know, whoever 1983 Rich Paul is, who's like, hey, right. man, Let's I can go. get you to Minnesota for a max. You can have your yeah, own no. team. Right. And that's it. It's so long, 80 Celtics. It's done because that's although the way know, it works now. Although McHale's probably the wrong example because number one, he hardly had an agent almost the whole time. Right. He didn't even have an agent because he, he did it himself. <laughs> And the second thing was, he was like one of those guys, he's still this way. He just doesn't care about personal accolades, still. He didn't care about money. He always talks about his dad working in the mines, you know? Like, Parrish, he's your guy. He would have been gone in a flash. And I don't need to criticize Robert. I wouldn't blame him. You know, he was the most underappreciated of all the Celtics in my book. He really, he told me once, and I've never, this was so shocking to me, he and DJ told me once, that whenever the Celtics won, Burton and uh, Mikhail would be on the front pages of all the sports. And whenever they lost, it would be him and DJ. And they really actually thought it was a racial thing, believe it or not. Wow. And yeah, can you imagine that? I think Feeling Maxwell I think Maxwell agreed with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't discount either one of them. They both were, you know, they didn't, either one of them said much at the time. They were both good teammates. They, they, they didn't cause a lot of commotion, but both of them separately said the same thing to me when I was asking them about what it was like to be a black player in Boston. And, and they didn't they didn't feel that way so much about the fans, you know, like that things like that had improved. But you know, I remember Parrish saying too that, well, you know, when Bill Walton came to town, I mean, what am I going to do about Bill Walton? You know, he's never, you know, Bill Walton was like everybody's favorite. Now that might have had to do with his personality as much as and his history as much as the color of his skin. But that's what those guys were. That's what those guys were feeling, and that's that's in the eighties, man. That's that's not in the sixties. We're talking about the eighties. Did they not have a better record without Parrish? I mean, 
I, I mean, with, when, uh, me, without Bird, yeah, with Paris, without Bird and McHale, they had a better record with Paris than, than when, when either of the other two were missing from games. In a, in a yeah, year. yeah, it was right. really important to them. But think about it, Bob. Like, how often did, was Paris featured in the offense? Hardly ever. And, you know, Bird was smart enough on a fast break, if you got one of those steals, to know that Paris was going to be trailing. And instead of laying it up, he'd dish it off to him a few times. To, you know, Bird was, it's again talking about chemistry, Bill. You're talking about chemistry and keeping people happy. Bird was really, really good at that, you know? Excellent. Let the big guy eat. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This is a good segue to Harden. Because Harden's been the most interesting story of the last three weeks. He is, I think people actually forget how unbelievable he is. No, he's so and 44. Then, he then, dropped yeah. 44 after all of that. I couldn't believe it. With <laughs> a bunch of dudes, it. a bunch of dudes he had literally just met. I mean, Tucker I was out there, but there was five guys that teammates he hadn't even played basketball couldn't with. Couldn't believe and he, it. And yeah. he was completely dominant and is one of yeah. the best offensive players of all time. And yet yeah. nobody wants to really make a real offer for him. That's the point about you made that it doesn't matter who he plays with. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to do it, right? I mean, uh, he's going to dominate that ball. He's going to do, I, I, especially when there's guys he doesn't know. West, he made grudging concession to Westbrook, I guess. I'm not, look, look, I don't, I don't, you got, you can't get away from the numbers. The guys who led the league in scoring three years in a row, he's phenomenal. He's, he's, he's the, the range on his jump shot, the, the package with the way he scores, uh, with the ability to, to either take it to the hoop and, and get fouled or, and lead the league in free throw attempts or to step back with that three from distances that are, you know, only Curry probably can match him with that uh, is fine. But, but I just think it's something there psychologically that I wouldn't want to play with him. I, I can't believe that other good players really want to play with him. That when he's going to dribble, 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 eighteen seconds, and then decide whether he's going to, you know, do what he's going to do or, or, or uh, honor you with a pass. And yet, I'll say this for him, which is amazing, and I could be one hundred percent, you know, just uh, wrong on, on, on my evaluation of him. How many times after a game, when you see in box score, he's got eight, nine, ten, eleven assists, and you say, I don't remember any of them. I, 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 my theory is that he's bribed every scorer in the league <laughs> <laughs> secretly. But all kidding aside, don't isn't that right? Don't you come away looking and say, how many assists? Where'd they come from? It's the 17 seemed high the other night. Yeah. yeah. About them, huh? 
Yeah. Well, he knows how to pass out of a double. You know, what he's good at, if he sees the double coming, and you know this, Bob, so many guys wait too long. He never waits too long. Now, he'll either shoot it or get rid of it. He's good that way. He's, he's really a, a basketball savant in many, many ways. And I understand why teams are tempted. Because, like, that game, that, the 44, I was like, he looked like the man that ate James Harden a week earlier, right? You thought he, it looked like he had, you know, he looked like Charles Barkley before the draft when he was trying to eat his way out of Philly. You guys know that story. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, how, how his agent told him that they, uh, the Sixers don't have an exception. They can't pay you a lot of money. You got to figure out a way not to be drafted by them. So he and his agent went to Denny's and ordered the Grand Slam breastless three times a day. And he gained like, <laughs> this is a true story. He had like nine pounds in three days. And then, and then Harold Katz drafted him anyway, you know? But anyway, oh my God. so Harden looked like that. And you thought, well, this, this can't work. And then he goes out and shows you why it can work. So let's just, since we're all from Boston, if you're the Boston Celtics, okay? Oh, no. I knew you were going to do this. But you got to. You got to. So you lose that game to the Pacers. The other Was that just last night? It feels like, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, okay. So clearly that game, you're just going, are you kidding me? Right? What is Tatum doing at the end of the game? Now, Tatum is an extraordinary talent, and he's 22. I'm going to, I'll cut him some slack. but. If you're the Celtics and you're talking about that window you were just talking about, Bill, okay, and you could take on this otherworldly offensive talent, are you tempted? You have to be tempted. Well, you have to t- you have to tell people what the offer would be. Well, it would probably be Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. Yeah, I think that's what it would take. And and yeah, so I, <laughs> Bob's putting his hands in. His I head. know, I know, and I understand. I, I Bob, personally, I, understand. I can't do it. No, I get it. I, I get that. I, for I get two that. reasons. I just, I'm at the point in my life, especially because we've won a lot of titles for all my favorite teams, where I just want to root for guys. I love Jalen Brown. I Who think on the court, on the court, he's gotten better every year. Off the court, I think he has a chance to be the most impactful Boston athlete we've ever had. Agreed. I agree. I really think he cares about real stuff that the country, the world needs right now. And he could be a real ambassador for them in so many different ways. That to me, that outweighs Harden alone. And you're for Harden, it's like, how fast can this end for him? Because, you know, yeah. I, I think it's fair to say he he leads a pretty lively life, you oh, know? Yeah. And could this could he be his prime be done in two years? I don't know. No, um, I, I, don't I just I personally don't think it's worth it. And I love Marcus too. I just, and I this is the fan. I'm not cold blooded GM person. I'm just well, I like rooting say. for these guys. Because here's the cold what the cold blooded GM says. And I'm not listen. No one loves Jalen Brown more than me, I don't think. And, and you know, Jalen's not always been happy with me because I've had to write some difficult things about him early on in his career. But I, I just, what I wanted to see was exactly what he gave me. Five seconds into the season, he's driving to the basket, he's drawing contact, and he's finishing. He's finally, fi- he's finally learned to, like, turn his wrist. You know what I mean? He's finishing. Yeah. So all that aside, Danny Ainge once, I forget who it was, it might have been Tony Allen. We were having a conversation and Tony Allen, I think it was when Tony Allen went and signed with Memphis. And I was like, wow, I thought you guys were going to retain him. He, it's not like he went for a ton of money. He's so important to the, your culture, your locker room, this defensive toughness, all of those things. He's, he's Marcus Smart is really what he is, okay? And a little less crazy than Marcus, right? We love Marcus, but Marcus is, you know, like Tony Allen knew not to take 10 threes in games. Right. Right? Okay. So I'm like, wow, that's pretty tough. And Dan's like, yeah, it was, man. I, you know, we don't want to lose him, but there's reasons, whatever. And I said, yeah, how are you going to replace him? And he said, you know, I, I don't know if we can, but we're going to try. I said, Jackie, I, I love defensive players, but I can always find them. 
I can't find a light out, lights out score. Those are the ones in the generations. Lights out scores. Those are the guys you can't find. You can't beat the bushes and one's going to fall out. And it, it always sticks in my mind. That's how GMs think. And what that's do you think, what James Bob? Harden is. Um, I'm not surprised to hear him say that. And and I'm thinking that there's levels even of, of those defensive players and smart is at the top of any list of, 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 of defensive players in the league right now. I think and there's nobody quite like him. I don't care what facsimile you got. It's a facsimile. There's nobody quite like him. But I'm with you, Bill. This is strictly from a fan standpoint. I'm not greedy. I'd like them to win. I root for them to win. There's no. I never made a secret of it even when I was covering them. But but. Uh, I, I don't want James Harden. I don't want to watch that game. I, I, I abhor his, this, what he does. I don't like it, but the, 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 what he's chosen to do, as good as he is, I don't want to win with him. And I don't want the whole package either. I don't want to, you know, so uh, no, I don't want to do it. Yet I, I would not be shocked if everything that Jackie just said about the way that the Danny would have to think about getting that once in a generation scoring thing ever happened, but I wouldn't be happy. And I'm not. No. Uh, and, and listen, don't mistake that. I want to do this deal. I'm just playing you know, for the purpose of our discussion. I'm explaining how GMs think. And I, I think it's been sitting there for a week and I think it's been a little more serious on the Boston side than maybe people realize not, not, do we need to do this? It's just like, holy shit, it's James Harden. It's right there. This guy is one of the best four players alive. And, yeah. you know, he's been on this Rockets team that year after year has competed at a high level. Throw the bubble year out. That was weird. Westbrook got COVID. He got hurt, all that yeah. stuff. But the two years before, they were the third best team in the league, maybe even the second best team. So um, I see it. I'm just, for me, it's like, I want to root for Tatum and Brown and Smart, and I, no, I, I think I, eventually we all do. that's yeah, the nucleus. But I, I, but I is think it good Danny, enough? Is it good enough? I think is Danny's cut good enough. But Danny's cutthroat—that's that's the difference. Like Danny is going to do whatever the best trade is that will get them closer to the title, right. and he's going to remove all human element out of it. Which I don't know if you can do in this case with Jalen and Marcus. I think those guys are too important to the city. I'd like to sit down over a beer with Chris Paul and ask him what he what, what he thinks. I want to hear what he really thinks about. About uh, well, they were one hamstring away from going to the finals. Yeah, that team, they really were one one hamstring pull away from from going well, to the finals. So, Jackie, did you hear? Because I heard, um, I heard Brooklyn cooled off on Harden, and I think one reason was D'Antoni. Yeah, it was kind of like we're good. We, I keep well, what you have. Yeah. I and, think he presents the problems. It's interesting now with Dinwiddie out. Um, what'll happen there? Uh, you know, Karis LeVert are probably going to the starting lineup. So I don't know how that's going to work, honestly. I thought it was really good for LeVert, and I'm sure he didn't think this. I thought it was no. really good that they were bringing him off because it took some pressure off him, gave him some chance to get going after the second unit. And I, I think he's a talented young player who isn't there yet, right? Another guy that just isn't there yet. So it'll be interesting to Same see. Same for Jared Allen, too. Both of those right, guys. Right, right. So, and Jared Allen, because of the weird DeAndre Troyoka and the you know, the blood pack that they all made, like he has to start for some reason, whatever. It doesn't matter if Jared Allen closes and plays more minutes, which generally what happens. That's how you can cover that track. But if you're Karis LeVert and it doesn't go well and, and Kyrie starts in with you, like what damage does that do to this really fine young player that has a chance to be something special? I'm just curious to see. Well, with Brooklyn, I think you can get away with it this year where LeVert is a completely overqualified bench guy, right? He can come in yeah. and at, literally carry your offense for seven minutes each half. Jared fun. Allen's a completely overqualified big guy. Yep. You can do it once, but then the disease of more kicks in. It like let's say they won the title, made the finals. Terry, Levert, the Terry Rozier, Levert's got, yeah, the Terry Rozier, totally. Levert, 
Levert's not doing this again next year. He'll do it this year if it leads to something. Um, Bob, can you compare and contrast 70s and early 80s George Gervin to Harden from a scoring slash can you actually win a title if this is your best guy standpoint? That's a very interesting one. Uh, Ice was certainly, uh, I was not the biggest fan of him either, but boy, uh, now I look back at him with more fondness uh, due to the nature of his game, which of course was more of a mid-range game and then, uh, uh, you know, but um, that's an interesting one because remember they had multiple scorers that, uh, you know, that was a a very potent offensive team at at different points in time, Uh, you know, and um, it wasn't, so that's a good one. I'd have to think about that. You've thrown me there. Um, but- well, remember, remember they're up three one against the Bullets, and then Dandridge took the series over. But even in Game Seven, they were up like ten in the fourth quarter. I, I you know, I was privileged to cover this series. That, that was a while. The summer, uh, the the spring of '79 was one of my finest memories of, of bouncing around. I'll tell you right now, uh, and uh, covering the. Uh, playoffs so uh yes i do remember that good gave both to one of my favorite uh, doug mo uh lines uh doug mo uh had explained uh what uh after having a 45 minute practice in the middle of the playoffs he then say you know my biggest concern is my glove golf club doesn't allow sixums on thursdays anything like doug mo i can tell you right now but anyway very interesting one i hadn't thought about the, the Iceman man in, in the context of, of, of Harden because I, I know there's a contrast. Okay. No, there's no way. No, Iceman didn't have to have the ball dribbling at 15 times before he made a move. Not yeah. you know, at all. I mean, that was not, the styles are really not quite the same. The thing about Iceman was a, the longest finger roll in history. I mean, he, he could figure roll from eight feet. This is yeah. astonishing. And, and B, uh, the, the, the lack of a fixed release point. He could release his shot. It must have been just so frustrating to guard because he could be he could release his shot behind the head over here, over there. That's Durant, um, yeah, like Durant does. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. yeah. And, and but he wasn't as Durant's so smooth. The game just flows out of Durant. Yeah. That's a, a little bit different category for me than, than the Iceman. But uh, uh, is Durant is Durant the best scoring forward you've ever seen? I'm just thinking on the time I had um, right now. For a short period of time, you know, about two or three period, uh, Bernard Bernard King was right there. Mm. The Bernard yeah. King of 84, 85, the, the, the Bernard King who went back to back 50s, the Bernard King who had the quickest release on the box I have ever seen. I called him Mazeroski. I mean, on the double play. He, he, my fa- quick, night, the first, game one, 1985, the uh, Pistons and Knicks, Hubie versus Chuck Daly. If game one, out of uh, and 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 uh, uh, and, and Silverdome, right? Hubie Brown called Bernard King's number. Power right, thirteen con- times in the first quarter, thirteen consecutive times, and he got twenty-two <laughs> points out of it. And, Why and don't coaches do that more? Huh? Potential 30, 26. I mean, Bernard King. At, so, in any discussion of of great scorers of, in the history, we have to make an allowance for that the the moment the, the 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 window for Bernard King. Yeah, that's a good one. He he was the only non-Celtic that I really loved in the eighties, just because there you know there not, there wasn't anybody like him. And yeah, he was. Crazy. I think that the thing with Durant that I think I had forgotten, just because he we haven't seen him play basketball in a year and a half, is just how easy it is for him. You know, and it, and I was really worried. Is it going to be 90%? Yeah, it's just every decision he makes. and it's Well, he slows it's just, the game down. He's, he's playing at a different speed than everybody else. That's what 
jumped out at me seeing him these first two to three games. Everybody else is going like this. And he's like, yeah, yeah. he can go fast, you know, but he, he can hit a, he can do that three quarter pass that Kevin Love does so well. He can do so many different things and, and he can shoot over you. He can take you in the post. He can shoot under you and then he can draw a crowd and make the perfect pass under the pass. I mean, if he can stay healthy, you know, all the preseason MVP, nobody's talking about Kevin Durant. Why weren't we? I said it last time. week. He w- he was thirteen to one, and it was like this yeah. guy. He's one of the three candidates. How is he thirteen? Oh, that's to right. One? You're better. Did you put some money on that? I hope I'm not. I vote on it, so I'm not allowed to bet on uh, it. But I was telling my friends, I was like, Durant's the best value. He should be yeah. four to one. He's thirteen to one. Yeah, that's Jeff a good Boston bet. Globe last week, uh, the day of the season open, I uh, one guy voted for Durant as MVP. You? Oh, look at you! Oh, Aren't wow. You so- See, there you go. So I want to just get, if I can, I want to get back to Harden again. For yes. one second. And I'm just curious what you guys think about because one of the nagging things about Harden for me, aside from his obvious ability, is and, and I know we know that he wears down at the end of the season. I mean, so that's easy to me, it's easily fixable. You just play him less minutes and you you do the rest that I was talking about before. But there does seem to be something about clutch situations. I, I'm not ready to say he can't perform in the clutch. But I feel like, and, and, and maybe it's like I was at a game as a fan. I was at that the game around Christmas time. I think it was a couple of years ago at the Garden when Smart threw those two charges in a row and he like completely threw the game away. Now, I know it was just a regular season game, but he got himself so worked up he couldn't even make the right basketball play. And I'm wondering, is that something that you would, if you had Harden, would you worry about him closing the deal? Or do you well, think so manage exactly- properly that? Yeah. I, I did a book of basketball pod with Zach Lowe last year, and he theorized oh. that Harden, the comparison is actually Carl Malone, where okay. he's your guy for the first 46 minutes, but right. do you trust him the in the last two. two? And this is, unfortunately for him, his legacy. He's one of the great yeah. offensive players ever. But over and over again in these playoff situations, you know, Bob, what do you think? Well, you mentioned, you know, you pushed the button with me because I've many times said Carl Malone is the most overrated great player in NBA history. And, and, and I, I could name, I used to, I really did this, no, no, no longer. But when I was still working back in the, you know, I, I carried around in my pocket a, a, a list of 15 forwards I'd rather have than Carl Malone, historically. And, and uh, you know. Give us, number, <laughs> give us number 14. Oh my God, put that list on eBay. <laughs> well, we Just give us number 14. You mentioned one of them, but Bernard King. You Bernard know, King, yeah. But I, I went down, I don't know now, that, that was an ancient Well, Mikhail, Mikhail would have been one. Oh, of course, Mikhail yeah, yeah, Barkley. Yeah, yeah. Well, before the previous generation, Elvin Hayes was the guy that you were yeah, always. That's my yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, yeah. And I, George McGinn, George McGinnis was second. Was yeah. I felt sorry. George, George was a waste. He, he was a squandered talent, you know, yeah. that, with that body, you know, he, was, he wasn't a bad guy. He was a, but uh, you know, anyway, anyway, I remember Doug Collins would <laughs> tell me about <laughs> halftime McGinnis just, smoking a smoking a cig getting ready for the second half and he was just like this chiseled amazing body he was done by the time he was 30 yeah he he was done and it was pathetic in the end because he wouldn't go to the basket because he didn't want to shoot free throws antoine walker yeah a lot of guys line that up it's true oh no that if you that that's a and yet you look at the numbers he put up even his first couple years in philadelphia and that you know and he was still putting up huge numbers until that free throw thing out and, and conditioning uh, those two things got him in. I uh, brought him down. But anyway, Harden isn't. It's it kind of 
the part of his his uh, package is that the playoff thing has been a letdown, and 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 him. So I would have a yeah to answer your question. I would have some concerns. So so here so here's my follow up. If you managed him differently, if you managed his minutes differently, if you gave him days off, if you took the ball out of his hands a little bit, would it change? See, I, I think I don't know the I don't know the answer. I'm just my asking. answer to this is I think in a seven game series. It gets easier. It's almost like when the Red Sox would play Marin Rivera 23 times in a year. And by the, the 19th game, they were kind of ready for the cutter, right? Yeah. They had seen it a million times. Well, at yeah. least they kind of had some sort of a feel for it. But with I the Harden Bill thing. Was, let's all say that. Yeah, yeah Bill Murrow, definitely. Another um, one of Bob's guys. But the Harden thing, it does seem like as the series goes along, it gets easier for the other team to figure out his style. Yeah. He has the ball so much. He does. I also, yeah. I was there for the Clipper game when the Clippers self-combusted in game six, when Josh Smith and Corey Brewer yeah, brought yeah, the Rockets yeah. back. But Harden Josh was Smith. so wow. bad in that game and basically checked out in a way that I I just can't forget it. You know, he was on the bench with a towel on his head. He, w- yeah. he was completely checked out. He was sulking. He was mad. Like LeBron, like LeBron back in the early... Uh, Two thousands against the yeah, 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 yeah. So that was a weird one for me, but I, I, I find it so, hard you know, to believe you can win with that style. Nobody's done it yet with a guy who has the ball that much. Nobody's much. actually won the title that way. Yeah, that's true. So you'd have to change the way he plays. But you know, I did a story on uh, the Rockets the year after that when Paul came. You know, Paul came to um, Houston. I did a cover story for the mag, the, the now near, dearly departed ESPN magazine, and. Um, was, oh, Irv Rowling, you know that name? He worked with Harden and some other the other guys. And he was working with Harden that whole year. And he said people were actually calling him and saying, did your boy Harden throw the game? Like people actually thought he threw the game. That's how bad he was. Now, of course he didn't. I don't mean to suggest for a second that he right. did. Obviously he did not. I can't be any clearer than that. But imagine people even thinking that. Right, being so bad that people are like, what is going on with this yeah. guy? Yeah, pretty yeah. crazy. It's a weird one. I think Bob and I are aligned on Harden. Yeah. So, you know me, I'm not, you guys are we, I'm still they, and I'm going to try to fight to the death. I've only got like two or three years left of my career and I'm trying not to slip into the we thing. So that's why I'm playing devil's advocate here for you. I'll give him this. He's had a very unusual career arc in that I, I can't think of anybody else who has attained the heights that he has the three scoring titles, et cetera. And, and he's, you know, and the, the stature that he has who started out, where he started out in the pecking order on his team, which was a sub who was, uh, yeah. remember they traded, they, 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 they traded him to keep Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka. Yeah. Let's remember that. Not that that's anything wrong with Serge Ibaka, but he's never yeah. going down the street away. Harden will. But I'm saying, think about it. Look at how far he's come uh, in esteem. And, and so he's, you know, he made it happen, right? He yeah. He works it. at it. He works at he it. Was a, I know he was a fifth pick in the draft, but still the fact is in Oklahoma city, he was a nice adjunct. At first, at first, you know, and and I don't know too many guys who, who take that extreme elite during the course of their time. Not too many. Yeah. But at the time, we all knew that was a bad idea, though. That's not revisionist history. We all knew at the time it was a mistake to let Harden go. We did. I lost my mind. Yeah, I did, too. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe well, it. especially because they just could have kept them for like an extra six million. It wasn't Jackie, much money. Yeah, it wasn't much money. If you had to bet, where is James Harden in March? What team is he on? You could bet on any team. Yeah. So it's a given. You, you, you're, a, you're saying it's a it's a, a given that there will be a, another destination. Yes, because so, I think once an NBA star is unhappy, 
It's yeah, almost like it. when a celebrity relationship, when it starts falling apart, you know they're going to break up. I, it's, it's, I still got to believe it's Brooklyn in the clubhouse leader in the. I, I still got to believe that. Interesting. I I would, I say Philly. Yeah. See, <laughs> Philly. It's just because Daryl Morey basically told the whole world that he s- saved his career. He like you know, and they have the piece that would probably get it done in Simmons. You know, so if, if Philly stumbles a bit, it, right. it absolutely could be Philly. Uh, I would say know, the I, three wild card teams would be Boston. We mentioned. Yeah, I think Denver could put together. I, Houston does like Porter Jr. Like, there's yeah, no who question. Wouldn't? Who wouldn't like so Porter Jr. they yeah. could put together a Porter Jr., Gary Harris, a, a kajillion picks, whatever. And then I think Portland's the other one. Whether McCollum and Collins and Simons and more first rounds, whether that's enough. I mean, remember I when we is. thought. Yeah. But remember with Jimmy Butler a couple of years ago, we never expected he would get traded for Covington and Saric, and that would be the entire deal. But that's his stock fell yeah, because he sabotaged it. Yeah, and I, that's my again, fear with Harden. But again, let's get back to what Danny Ainge said. Jimmy Butler would never be considered a elite. I mean, he was fantastic in the bubble. But again, you you think of him as a tough guy that plays both ends, defends. He's not a once in a lifetime generational scorer. That's the difference between the two. You can't lose sight of that. Because those are the those are the unicorns. Yeah. Um, before we go, can we talk about the force? Oh, so sad. So, so my so December twenty third. I just have to tell you, my kids were home. It was Christmas. The game is on, and my son looked at me and he said, "You do realize, if there was no pandemic, we'd be at the fours eating, and then we'd be going to this game." And I was like, oh, "Yes, very depressing." So for the people listening, the fours was, I think, an iconic. Boston sports no bar was right across the street from the garden. And I don't remember when it started to become the place that people went after the game. And it was a mix of, you'd see media members in there, you'd see athletes, all this stuff. And it became a, a pandemic casually. But Bob was, I think Bob might've invented the force. People go in there. But before that, it was the Scotch and Sirloin, right? Wasn't that the first one? That was up the street. I was yeah. up the street. Up, up, up in the eighth floor. Yeah. I had my bachelorette party there. No <laughs> lie. I swear to God. Tell me I'm not a basketball junkie. <laughs> I had my bachelorette party. The, the, the uh, menu was on a lunch pail, right? Yeah. On a lunch pail. On a lunch, yep. Many was on Black a lunch pail. lunch pail. Yep. That's right. And uh, at one point, Parrish did uh, commercials for them. Yeah. Right. They all They're did. on YouTube. Yeah. You can yeah, see them all. on YouTube. And you know, Bird used to p- pick up the tab at the Scotch and Sterling after the game, very quietly pick it up for the team over there. Can you imagine in 2020 if like LeBron and the Lakers were doing these cheesy commercials for some <laughs> local so steakhouse bad. they like just to get some free steaks? <laughs> the 80s are so different. All right, so the fours, it becomes the place and it lasts for uh, 30 years. Bob was kind of the, I got to be honest, like kind of the mayor of the fours, right? You were... You were there. I met him there. I met him there many times. I had to I, meet him that there was how I met o'clock. him. Yeah, I had cost him in the late nineties. It was like, "There's right. Bob Ryan. Let's go talk to him." And that well, was I would it. meet him beforehand because, like, we had to be over the arena three million hours early. So I was eating lunch at like four in the afternoon with Bob. Yeah, four, four, four o'clock. Yeah, four o'clock. Yeah. Steak yeah. tips, teriyaki uh, steak tips. Steak tips were Bobby or steak and cheese. Yeah, all good. No, no, but it, the, the, the memorabilia was priceless. I mean, the the foresight, yeah. the, the, the but some of the it's stuff they had a, they had an auction. Uh, you know, sadly, you know, they had to have it. But yeah. uh, and now look, we're not, and of course they they were very grateful to get this accolade from the Sports Illustrated ten years ago, twelve years ago. I was Ian Thompson, man. Don't sleep on Ian Thompson. He yeah. made that happen. Bar, 
in America, which may or may not be true naturally, but it was among them. But yeah, it was said. And you know, feel sorry for all these entrepreneurs, all, all these restaurateurs, art owners. Oh my God, it's in America. It's just it's yeah. horrible, horrible. Eastern Standard is gone too. Eastern Standard is like one of my other favorites. Right out, right in Fenway, right in Kenmore Square. That's Garrett Harker's place in the Oyster Creek Oyster House. Both of them gone. Yeah, Terrible. it's like I mean, there's so many horrible things from this pandemic. But you think of some of these places that were really part of people's lives, and they're just kind of disappearing left and right in every city, you know. And you like a the forest is a good example of like, oh man, spent so many times, so many times, so many nights there, and boom, it's gone. You know what I was thinking about was Hammersley's. Hammersley's closed just in time. They closed like a year before the pandemic. They closed on their terms, which is a great thing for them because that was a great place too. And so people on the outside to know the forest was named after number four, Bobby Orr. Now right. hence, hence the name. That's where the name comes from. Hey, did you know you could bet on college football on New Year's Day with an exclusive 25 to 1 odds boost on FanDuel Sportsbook? Oh yeah, you heard it right. FanDuel Sportsbook giving new users an exclusive 25 to 1 odds boost on the two biggest college football games of the year. That means you can pick either Alabama or Notre Dame or Clemson or Ohio State to win. Then bet just $5 for a chance to win $125. Listen, I barely know anything about college football, but here's what I know. Notre Dame shouldn't have been in this. Alabama is going to beat them. I would recommend Alabama. More importantly, there's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Their app is simple to use. Great odds on all different betting markets. Unique fun bet types like same game parlay. Exclusive always on promotions, such as enhanced odds boosts on the biggest events and bet insurance to let you get more action out of every game day. Unlike other sportsbooks, once you win, FanDuel gets you your cash in as little as 24 hours. Why? It's the right thing to do. Right now, the right thing for you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and use my promo code BS to take advantage of your exclusive 25 to 1 college football odds boost. Remember, FanDuel Sportsbook promo code BS. You must be 21 plus present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Indy, and Iowa, and Tennessee. New users only must wager on designated boost market deposit required. Max bonus 125. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 800-522-4700 in Colorado. 800 bets off in Iowa, 809 with it in Indiana, 800 Gambler in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, 800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Last thing before we go, the uh, the whole media coverage thing now. Jackie's still in it. She's one, she's one of the last ones that actually has the gravitas to go into these Art. situations like the Philly thing. And they kind of have to give you time because of who you are. When we get to the next generation, um, I think it's going to be harder and harder to get time with, with with these dudes. And honestly, they're not incentivized to do it. Maybe they shouldn't be. But, um, you know, when Bob was covering the Celtics in the 70s and the 80s, and then he passed the torch to you and he's teaching you all the tricks. What What year did this change? When did this become different? Was there a tipping point moment you could remember? Oh, I think the two things that that altered the landscape and it started the, the trend downward for the media in the NBA. I'm always speaking now of the NBA where charter flights and the Chicago Bulls. Uh, charter mm. flights, self-explanatory. I mean, you know, we used to arrive at the airport with them. You checked in with them. You rode with them. Rode on the bus. You rode on the bus. Rode on the bus. 
to practice and back and then in a shoot around into the game. They held the bus up in Cleveland so Steve Bullpet could finish his story. And we got on the bus to drive back in from the Richfield Coliseum. Uh, right. Steve with the yeah. Boston. They did. I mean, it was just, and nobody batted an eyelash. You know, we were part of the deal. All right. And the Bulls, who became the, the Celtics were something of a traveling rock star group, but the Bulls with Michael became that, that was a whole other level. And, and then they built the Berto Center and, and people didn't even know where they were, whether they were practiced and closed practices. When I started covering one team in the league had closed practices, the Knicks, no one yeah, else. Nothing's did. ever changed. No one else did. All right. So I'm, I, I might embarrass you, Bob, but I have to tell the story and I don't even know if you remember it, but we used to be able to go to practice beforehand, watch the entire practice and then get the guys afterwards. You, I don't know if you remember this. But we're in the Hellenic College, which is where the Celtics used to play. I'm very young. And you and Mike Carey got into a shouting match. Do you remember this? Yes. And they got into a shouting match. I don't know what the issue was. but and, uh, well, and, 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 I don't know. But And God bless Mike Carey. He's since passed. But they stopped practice. And they said, Bob, Mike, shut up. And then after that, we were never allowed in before practice anymore. That was the end of it. <laughs> wow. That's well, a true story. I'm going to dispute that story, but we'll go there. No, only because I, well, anyway, I, I, it, 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 was, it was, it was headed that way anyway. Yeah. But that different. was the last straw. It was headed that way anyhow. But that's how I got to know people always say to me, like, how did you get to know all those players? I'm like, I was so frightened. I was taking over for you. Are you kidding? Yeah. Me? I was so terrified to miss anything. I would go two hours early. I'd stay. Two hours after practice, like I just, you know, how they had two days in the preseason. I would go to both sessions, and I remember once I walked in and Chris Ford was assistant coach. He goes, "What are you doing? The media only comes to the morning one." I'm like, "Oh, I'm like afraid, you know." And I would be there, and that's how I happened on that story when Bird was mad at Jan Volk about his contract. I was the only reporter there, and he had said something earlier in the day, and I wasn't sure I got it right. This is how pathetic am I? I saw you must have thought I was so pathetic, and I'm like. Hey, I don't mean to bother you. I know you talked this morning, but you said something and I just wanted to double check what you said, you know, and he had in, in the time of the morning and the evening session had found out that Jan Volk had said, he's not here. We don't know where he is. And he was just waiting. And he, and I, meanwhile, I had been sitting with Jan Volk in the stands the entire practice. We were the only two people in the gym besides the players. And so Larry goes off on him because he probably saw me sitting with him, right? I had to go home, no cell phones, and call Jan Volk at home and say, hey, and he goes, didn't I just see you? I go, uh, yeah, but something's <laughs> happened between now and then. But that's, I. but it was more, not because I was some savvy reporter. I was just terrified to mess up. But we had so many opportunities to develop relationships with those guys, you know? It's very well, difficult to do now. Yeah, Bob, you had to win. Basically, you had to win Bird's respect with what you wrote, right? And then once he accepted you, everybody... I, you know, it wasn't really what I wrote. I don't think it was just conversation because uh, there was never ever any evidence that he ever read a word that I wrote. There was never anything like that. It's true. I, I finally mm. asked him once and I think he said, yeah, yeah. No, someone, I did ask him once and so when I was doing a magazine story and uh, for the Globe magazine and uh, Sunday mag. And uh, oh, I'm sure, I think his answer was, I'm sure I saw, I've seen, I'm sure I've seen some of them. <laughs> so wow. that was it. No, my, it was a personal relationship. It was not built on, on him reading what I wrote. In his case, I promise you that. But he liked your basketball takes. That's why he respected you. Yeah, me. I was. He liked my basketball takes. Well, and you know what else, so Bob? You showed up. 
You were there. You were there all the time. No, that matters to Larry. You were there early. Yeah. You were there late. You never took a day off from practice. Oh, Those no. are the kind of things that la- that matter to Larry. I remember once he he was uh, he really liked Mike Fine from the Patriot Ledger a lot. You know, he was a great guy who covered the team for many years. And then Mike, we were on the road in Sacramento, I think it was. Mike had vertigo. He got really, really sick in the hotel. And he couldn't come to the game because he was like throwing up. He couldn't even stand up. And I remember talking to Bert after us. He goes, yeah, we were fine. He, Sacramento, he's too big for Sacramento. I go, no, Larry, he had vertigo. He was really sick in the hotel. And he goes, still should have been there. You know, <laughs> it's like, what? The dude couldn't stand up. He was throwing up. Still should have been there. You know, so that's do where, you, that's where Do you think from. it's possible to have a feel for these guys in the same way? In 2020 with the limited access, but also they have all these people in their life. Now they're presenting yeah. this version of themselves. They're the public figure version versus the actual human being. And you're just not going to get to know that person. It's I, not possible. I disagree with you. I disagree with you. All right, babe, let's, let's litigate this. Why do you think it's not possible, Bob? Just what? You, you don't have the, they do not have the access. They don't have, you don't have a sufficient opportunity for them to recognize you as a human being. You don't have it. I, don't, I mean, I don't think so. Jackie, if you, if I, if I'm wrong, tell me, but I don't yeah. see how it's possible. We, we spent, we had so much direct contact in different. I know. So now what you do reports, including the, I mean, I could build. I know. I understand that. I, I understand could go, that. I could go on for two hours with stories that are not possible today because the circumstances don't even exist. There's no stories about hanging around the guys at the, at the gate at the airport during a rain, during a delay. There's no stories like that. There's, right. there's, I know. Not, I know. there's no stories about like I would go in after every game for a period of time and, and say, okay, where are we going? Or where are you go? Where are we going after the game on the road? Because everybody, there was a place after in every city and I would meet them and we close up the joint that nobody, you don't close up the joints with, with players anymore. They don't, they don't even go to the joints. They go back for the video games, whoever the hell they do. But so. see, see, well, here's what. But here's the thing, Bob. So your generation was that. My generation was like, you don't go out with players after the game. That's a conflict of interest. So there's mm. an evolution. Okay, there's an evolution. The evolution now is, I'm not a big fan of texting. I'd rather talk to someone in person and sit with them. Today's young writers, the ones that are really good, that are getting stuff from these players, they're texting with each other. They're talking about the video games that you're referencing. They go early, they stay late, and just but it's in a different way. They go to the player's shoe, uh, you know, event. If the guy has a charity. Or the charity function, yeah. Yeah, that's how they get, they make those connections. And they do it in a way where those two players, because they're of the same generation, and sometimes, you know, they have like interests, and that's how they do it. It's still possible. It's just a lot harder. Now, for someone like me, I mean, I'm 60 years old, Right. And I'm a woman on top of it. I'm, I used to be old enough to be like their sister or their girlfriend. Then I was old enough to be their mother. Now I'm old enough to be their grandmother. Okay. So it's a challenge for me. I'm not going to talk to them about any video games. I don't play any video games. So I always tell everybody, don't try to be something you're not or try to have an interest in something. Not. There's still plenty of things in the world I can talk to these guys about. And maybe they talk to me initially out of, out of respect. And then it's up to me to just carry a conversation and find something in common with them that makes them think, I mean, I love basketball. I can talk about basketball all day just because I'm 60 doesn't mean I can't talk about basketball. In fact, I know a little bit about things that they don't even remember because they weren't born yet. So there's always a way. I, I just, I, you know, if I, if I didn't think there was a way, I wouldn't still be doing it. I think, th- I think what's changed now is like you, like in, especially in the seventies, 
you had these real relationships with people you were covering where you could even have like falling outs during the season. Like you, did you, you didn't talk to Heinsohn for like, what, a year? No, it was that it, it, it hit its skids in 76 and, um, and, and really peaked in the finals because I stayed at Westfall's house. I didn't stay with the, in a hotel in Phoenix. And, but, uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, it was, it, it had deteriorated. It was heading for, for trouble that year. And, and, and it did, but you know, then we patched it up and then for 42 years, we, until the day Tommy died, we were friendly, no problem, but yeah, but, oh, there were so many. Okay. I, I listen to what Jackie said. It makes sense to me, but I just think that the nature of the relationships are still different. I just think that. Well, so I guess I should say, Bob, no one was staying at, no one's going to be staying at James Harden's house the night before a game, you know? <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So there is a difference. It's, That'd be a long night at James Harden's house too. Yeah. I'm hoping that's, that our, my, you know, the, the, the guys today are happy opportunity to have the kind of conversations with these guys through these relationships that I could have. I used to have a Paul Silas, one of my, yeah. one of the people I most admire. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, uh, and, and, and Havlicek too. And, but, and, yeah. you know, and I, I feel the same way about Bird, Parrish, Mikhail, DJ. DJ was, to me, such a gem. That now, let me people... ask you this, Jackie. And yeah. I here. Um, how about outside now? You're, but for a, a local guy, not yourself now. You know, yeah. now yeah. But a local guy, did they get to develop relationships with the rest of the league the way we, we, we did? Well, that's, that's, especially in this climate, very difficult. But, yeah, I think the good... I think the good ones do. And the good ones that do that don't stay local very long. Then they become national. That's what happens. The good ones, they know how to do that, you know? A lot of people in the league, you know, that in, in circumstances, a lot of it was bars, you know? I mean, yeah. when you come into Pistons when Butch was the coach, you knew where he was going to be after the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Janopolis, Janopolis, Janopolis. That's the place. In, see, I knew we'd get to it. The place of the Pistons. We used to go to Janopolis. And what I would do, because, I, again, I, I was always like, well, I'm a woman. I shouldn't be going to bars with these guys. But, like, in, you mentioned Cleveland. Well, in Richfield, there was the hotel in the middle of nowhere. There was nowhere else to go. I mean, where else was I going to go? We all went. In at Exit 11. Yeah. And then Major Goolsby's. You used to take me to Major oh, Goolsby's yeah, in Milwaukee. Yeah. So. And one night I was there with you and Bird and Walton came in. And I, I was just like, well, I'm with Bob. I guess it's okay. <laughs> you know? But I was just always self-conscious about, I, I just didn't want anyone to ever think that how I got my business done well, of course, anything so to do woman. with. Oh. No, I had to be really careful of that. Entirely so. different for a woman. I, I totally yeah. recognize that. I can't yeah. even be. So I never would have been there alone. But if I was with the rest of you guys, that was cool. Detroit, I was at the Lindell AC. That's where you would go in Detroit when they were playing, you know, in downtown at Cobo Hall. Yeah. And Butch would be there. I mean, oh, God. Oh, we could go on and on. What was the most depressing NBA city of all time for you, Bob? It was with the deterioration of Detroit. Detroit, I said, here's yeah. the two things I'll tell you about my travels, which began in 1970. The, the city that deteriorated the most was Detroit. Downtown Detroit just, just deteriorated into scary. The department stores went down, the, the, everything was so. The city that improved the most was Indianapolis. Mm. Indianapolis is, you know, which where every Final Four should be permanently is Indianapolis. But um, that, but the, Detroit got to be really frightening, uh, really. Just so, you, I, you know, Cleveland is upgraded tremendously. You can go to Cleveland, as I have many times for the finals, as we all have. You could have a good meal at some really fine restaurants yeah, every single I know, night. I know Cleveland's they got Cleveland's really come on, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, can we do this again at some point later in the sure. season? 
Did you have Why fun, not? Bob? I had a lot of fun. It was great. Bob, what's with that office, man? You look like, like how big is your office? Is that yeah, it your looks office? like Obama's background. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice room. In fact, it was one of the selling points for me when we bought this house. It's huge. 42 yeah. years ago was this office. It's it's paneled and knotty pine. It's really yeah, got to it. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I, I cherish it. It's a great office. Yeah. All right, Bob, it was a pleasure. Jackie, great to see you as always. Yeah, Happy holidays. Right. Thanks Happy for doing this. Hope we can do it again. Okay. I loved it. Thank you. All right. That's it for the BS podcast. We do have one more coming. I'm going to do probably a less than an hour football podcast on Thursday, getting ready. Just, just there's so many variables, so many things going on with the Sunday games. I can't resist. I just can't. So we're going to put that up. At some point on on Thursday night, right as you're celebrating the new year and celebrating the fact that the old year is over. So stay tuned for that. You can listen to it on Friday. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the last couple of days of a truly shitty year. Thanks for spreading the word. I appreciate it. I'll see you uh, in 2021. Yeah. <laughs>